pretty right. Urban Forum Northwest, very sorry, uh, but uh, I had something on my computer that I could not erase. I know time is valuable, and our first guest is Congressman Bobby Scott from Virginia, who is currently the chair of the House Education Labor Committee. And, uh, Congressman, uh, first of all, let's start, I want to start off talking about the predictions that we're hearing. I hope that doesn't encourage anyone from uh, exercising their constitutional right to go and, uh, you know, and cast their vote. Uh, in Washington State, we uh, have a mail-in uh, kind of situation, so we don't have polls. So uh, I know that uh, every two years, all members of Congress are up for re-election as well. Uh, I want to start off by saying, uh, what will you accomplish by the, is it the end of the year, sir, in your committee? Well, it, 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 a lot of it depends on um, uh, what happens at the, uh, during, during, the, during the election. Um, we've got a lot of stuff we're working on uh, that um, are, are priorities, um, education, health care, um, jobs, things that we've done uh, well on so far. And the results of the election, you said I'm currently chair of education and labor. I hope I'm still chair after this election, but that depends on, uh, on uh, who wins the most seats in, um, in, in, in the House. Uh, but we've got a lot of work to do, and, and, you know, it's been an interesting campaign because at this point in the, in the president's uh, administration, Joe Biden has created the most jobs in the history of the United States. In stark contrast to what Trump did, worst job performance in 90 years. And, you know, some of my colleagues are scared to talk about the economy. I mean, you know, we, we, we've got a lot to brag about in terms of uh, job creation. Um, uh, we've got um, um, one, one issue that's come up that we're going to have to work on is uh, Social Security. The Republicans have said out loud, the Republican uh, leader said he's going to have across-the-board cuts and does not rule out Social Security and Medicare. The uh, chair of the Republican uh, Senate Campaign Committee says he wants to uh, let Social Security expire every five years, and you'd have to pass it again. Uh, he said, of course, it'll pass again because it's popular, but um, frankly, you could... That you you could kill Social Security under that scenario with a with a Senate filibuster. You wouldn't even need all the Republicans to kill Social Security. So we're going to have to make sure that uh, the Democratic plan, which is increase taxes on the uh, super rich and improve benefits and make Social Security um, secure for many years to come, uh, we have we have to get that in place so that. Their plan to cut Social Security or privatize it or whatever else they want to do doesn't take place. So there are a lot of things that uh, we're working on, and a lot depends on the outcome of the election. You know, Congressman, um, I guess I'm a little bit, uh, I guess not really shocked, but uh, the women were organized. They were in the streets. And you know, I guess it's the same thing after Donald Trump did that Hollywood tape uh, bus ride and said that, you know, still 50% of uh, uh, white women voted for uh, the Trump after that. Now I see a poll where 50% of the suburban women are going to vote for a Republican. So, uh, I mean, it just seems to me that and some people, uh, the anger don't last very long. And, you know, you can, you can change. Uh, inflation and gas prices can change, but your right uh, to control your own body will not change. So, well, uh, you know, also, they, they, also, they, like, you, you, uh, talked about, you talked about inflation, 
Uh, you remember um, uh, George W. Bush and Kerry running against each other, where Bush had a problematic uh, um, military record, and John Kerry was a decorated Vietnam War veteran, and they had the swift boat thing where Bush projected his weakness onto Kerry and then attacked Kerry's war record. Um, and Kerry didn't respond. And by the end of the campaign, people looked like um, uh, George W. Bush was a war hero and uh, uh, John Kerry was all but a draft dodger. Well, you mentioned inflation uh, as if that's a weakness for Democrats. Let me tell you, we got global inflation. It's worse in Europe. It's worse in, in um, Mexico. It's about the same in, in, um, uh, in Canada. Of course, we got inflation in, um, in the United States. It's a, it's a global problem. question isn't whether, you, whether there's inflation. question is whether you're doing something about it. We had the um, uh, a family of four got $5,600 in stimulus checks. They got thousands more in, 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 in child tax credits. We're dealing with the supply chain. Um, uh, we're dealing with inflation and people, uh, you know, we're helping people deal with the global problem. We're just not prancing around complaining about it, pointing out, oh, there's inflation here, there's, this is high, that's high. That doesn't do any good. And Democrats are getting swift voted. Uh, we have a plan to deal with inflation. Credit card delinquencies are at a 30-year low. Um, Nobody likes the high prices, but people are able to survive. Now, we don't have anything to be afraid of in, um, in inflation. The, the Republican plan is to go around, find high prices, and call a press conference and say the gas prices are high, this price is high, that price is high, without any plan to do anything about it. And mm -hmm. Democrats haven't responded, and now people think inflation is, uh, is a plus uh, for, for Republicans and Democrats aren't doing anything. We have, we have put money in people's pockets. We are reducing drug prices. We voted to reduce drug prices, couldn't get a single Republican vote, and they talk about high prices. Um, mm -hmm. I think we need to fight back on some of this stuff um, and not uh, just when they start whining and complaining and attacking, uh, we tend to run for cover. We ought to stand up and fire back. What's your plan? We, we had, if their plan is to is that the rescue plan was a mistake, then try to pay your bills without the fifty six hundred dollars in stimulus checks and without the child tax credit. And by the way, try to pay it without Social Security because they want to go after Social Security. And by the way, try to pay it without a pension. We saved in the rescue plan a million people's pensions under the multi-employer pension fund. A million people were about to lose their pensions. We saved those pensions. Not a single Republican voted for it. And we saved the taxpayer money in the process. Um, um, I think inflation, we've got a plan. We're doing something about it. We're doing the best we can with this global problem. The Republicans are just prancing around, complaining and attacking with no plan. And I think um, our Democrats have made a mistake by not uh, standing up and firing back. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. Uh, you know, what I, I don't hear enough about, uh, well, you know, the January 6th thing. I mean, obviously, it didn't uh, to, uh, have an attempt to overthrow the United States government. didn't bother a lot of people to have 140 of these officers uh, hurt, you know, in this whole melee uh, with, with uh, these folks. 
you know, so uh, it's just really, I mean, I'm just amazed and appalled that uh, these kind of acts can just be completely ignored. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm surprised, just I'm surprised more aren't in jail. Um, uh, but um, uh, try, it's not, I, I agree with uh, Judge Luddick, who is the uh, appellate court judge, most conservative appellate court judge in my circuit in uh, in Virginia Fourth Circuit. He testified, most conservative. He testified that the problem wasn't January 6th. The problem was 2020, 2024. Because what they tried to do in January 6th, they're getting ready to do again in 2024. And if we don't stop them now, they may be better at it in 2024 and may actually get away with it. Um, uh, that um, uh, all this stuff about fake electors and find me 11,000 and some votes and all of that, uh, you've got a substantial portion of Republican nominees for public office on Tuesday's election are election deniers who might actually go try to find 11,000 votes, might actually um, uh, accept the fake electors. I mean, there's no telling what they might do. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm disturbed about January 6th. But I'm, uh, it, uh, Ted Lieu, one of the uh, impeachment managers, said uh, he's impeaching so that Trump can't run again in, um, in 2024. And he was asked, were well, you afraid of him winning? He said, no, I'm not afraid of him winning. I'm afraid of him running and losing because he'll lose and then try to steal the election <laughs> with violence, just like he did before. And yeah. so um, uh, I'm, I'm as surprised as you are that uh, we need to stand up, we need to root these people out, and we have to do like Lynn Cheney is doing. Any ele- you, cannot ele- you cannot tolerate any election denier running for public office. You just have to vote for their opponents. Well, I tell you right now, we certainly have, I think, over 300 on, on the ballots, uh, and we got a couple that's running for uh, one, one person's running for the Senate, uh, and uh, she's running against Patty, uh, Senator Patty Murray, who's been, you know, uh, in office for quite a while. I think the second-ranking senator. And uh, this lady is uh, uh, is pro-life. Uh, she has pictures with, with Donald Trump. But I guess, like I said, to some folks, it just doesn't matter. Well, it, 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 I want to ask. I think uh, the, being an election denier is just disqualifying. And you ought to just stop. If they, if they can't participate in a democracy without a violent attempting a violent overthrow if they if they, if they lose and you got people all over the country who are who it it it, it, it appears clear that they're not going to accept the results and they're going to call on their friends to come out and violently try to overturn their life. I don't know what kind of uh, results we're going to have uh, when all these people come out of the woodwork uh, responding to election deniers who lost fair and square it, no telling what's going to happen uh, but That's you true. can't allow them to get in public office. Some of them are running for governor. Some of them are running for secretary of state, attorney general, uh, U.S. House, U.S. Senate uh, positions where they can actually do some damage if they uh, if they get elected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, has uh, Representative State Representative Sharon Santos joined us yet? Uh, Representative Santos. Good afternoon, Eddie. Uh, and Congressman Bobby Scott's on the line too. He was just giving us prognostications about the upcoming election. Congressman Scott, I want to, uh, man, and uh, uh, Representative Santos, my Zoom, there's somebody that's occupying it. I don't know what deal. I'm on the phone. But anyway, I want to, uh, Congressman Bobby Scott, who is chair of the House Education Labor Committee, 
to meet the chair of the Washington State uh, House uh, Education Chair, Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos. So I want to make sure. Well, thank you so much. And it, of course, is a pleasure to meet the congressman. We've uh, been on a call, I think, in the past and uh, just such a great fan of all of your leadership. um, And uh, thank you for your service, sir. Well, thank you. And um, we were very delighted that we could pass that American Rescue Plan with all that money for the um, uh, for education, K through 12, biggest investment K through 12 in the history of the United States in, in, in one bill. And we distributed it according to the Title I formula where poverty was the biggest issue. So the money went where it was most needed. And um, uh, as the chair of the Education Committee, in the uh, legislature, you need to make sure that they're using the money for the purpose that it was sent, and that is to open the schools safely, keep them open safely, and make up for lost learning. I don't know about your state, but the uh, scores came out a couple of weeks ago, and the students just didn't do so hot. But that's not a surprise. that They didn't learn very much in the last two years. Of course, the scores would be low, but that's why we're able to get as big appropriation as we did so that the, you could have uh, Saturday makeup sessions, summer courses, uh, counselors, uh, psych- psychologists, uh, school nurses, whatever it takes to make sure the students can make up for lost learning. Uh, that's why we're able to pass all that money, and I hope you're doing some oversight to make sure they're spending it well. Yes, uh, Congressman, thank you uh, so much, uh, not only for all the recovery dollars, uh, but also more recently in the Building Safer Communities Act, uh, ensuring that um, we are as states able to uh, funnel and channel those dollars uh, so that we are protecting uh, the most vulnerable amongst us, that being our, our students, our children. And we know, as you pointed out, that um, test scores all across the nation um, are showing the effects of the uh, pandemic. Or as I've learned a new word, the, uh, what was it? The pen crisis uh, that we've had uh, visiting not only our country, but all around the world. And certainly in Washington state, what we have done with that is we've made sure that we put in a very healthy, uh, permanent uh, change to our uh uh, mental health, uh, physical health, and our counseling services, because our students um, who have endured this at a very, very critical time in their individual personal development are going to carry this forward for the rest of their lives. And we frankly don't know exactly how that's going to impact our students, but do know that a large uh, bulk of that uh, funding went to uh, really making sure that we're surrounding our our students, uh, as well as the other uh, in-school staff with uh, professional mental health uh, services uh, and supports. I will also say that... um, uh, as you uh, are pointing out, uh, the 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 need to really help ensure that our students are able uh, to learn is a strong focus as we go into the next legislative session. We are frankly less concerned about uh, quote unquote 
uh, learning loss and learning recovery as we measured it in the past. And what we are focused solely on is creating the conditions whereby teaching and learning can uh, thrive and occur so that um, uh, we can promise an even better future for our students as we come out of well, the pandemic. Well, exactly. There's no, there's no shame. There's no shame in low test scores. Uh, when people are coming out of the pandemic, the shame is if you're not doing everything you can to make up for it. And particularly for the uh, people who are about to graduate from, from high school, because if they get out with these low scores, they will be permanently inflicted with a year or two of learning loss. And they'll, be, uh, they'll have that for the rest of their lives. We need to catch them up quickly. So as people graduate, they'll have all uh, uh, K through 12 education. Yeah, thank you, uh, Congressman. Uh, understood. And again, we are certainly seeing the that those uh, students um, who were at the upper end of their secondary experience um, are being challenged the most uh, in terms of having been affected by the stop. Uh, stoppage of school uh, as we knew it and by sort of the extended uh, period of uh, hybrid type of learning, which doesn't really work uh, for all students. And um, uh, in any case, uh, the mental health issues of our older students are particularly troubling when we see so many of our youngsters not only experiencing higher levels of suicidal ideation, but actually in our state, and I suspect in other states as well, we're seeing actually higher numbers of students who are following through on the ideation of suicide. Certainly, we also see so many students um, expressing uh, the uh, challenges of depression, of being isolated. And so um, until we can serve those students and address those critical um, uh, building blocks of strong mental health, I think that those will stand in the way of being able to be successful in school uh, in the future. Well, we've got to do everything all at once. And that's why we were able to pass um, legislation with that kind of funding so that you can um, hire the personnel to get the job done. Um, it, it was $120 billion, which is a, a, a lot more than we've ever seen before in federal support for education. And uh, regrettably, you got to do it all at the same time. Um, exactly. And, and at um, the same time that there is a worker shortage in all of those areas, you know, that's right. Um, I'm sure that you know that we we have a shortage of teachers. We've had for a long time a shortage of teachers, even though, you know, we've uh, we've been ringing that bell, so to speak, to sound the alarm. But we also have never uh, produced the number of mental health uh, workers and social workers that we actually need, not just for uh, a healthy functioning society, but very specifically to support our students. Um, and so uh, you're right, we are trying to um, operate on all fronts. And of course it is a challenge and the money is extremely important, but obviously we can't just manufacture, um, you know, social workers or mental health workers out of thin air. And we need to make sure that we are providing the capacity to get those people out into the field, including those that are just in the process of learning. So we're really rethinking about how do we ensure 
um, that there are fewer uh, blockades and more pathways into all of these professions that are going to help support our students and their learning. And, and part of that on, on, our, on, on, on our end is to making sure that the pipeline is full so that uh, we're encouraging people to go into these fields so that four, five, six, seven, and eight years from now, we have the uh, professionals who can provide the mental health services. They're not, we don't have, they're not out there yet. Um, and certainly psychiatrists, I saw one statistic that said if the Veterans Administration hired all the psychiatrists they needed, they would take up every psychiatrist in the United States. There wouldn't be any left for anybody else. Uh, so obviously we've got a lot of work to do in terms of uh, the pipeline of mental health professionals. Exactly, exactly. And our, and our education professionals. Yes. Yes. But thank you again, Congressman, for all of your leadership and work um, to ensure that uh, we fulfill um, is in a partnership uh, the promise of public education um, to each and every student uh, in our United States. Well, thank you. And one, of the, one, one bill that we just introduced, obviously we don't expect it to pass. Um, um, you know, miracles might happen, but it, it's a long-term uh, fight, and that is to um, make college more affordable, um, double the Pell Grant, make the uh, public service programs and income-based programs more generous and significantly reduce the interest rate. A lot of people pay uh, for, for, for on, on their student loans, look up a couple of years, and they owe more than they started with. Uh, we got to get that interest rate down so your payment's actually going to pay off the loan, not to pay off, not, not to uh, pay some of, the, some of the interest. And I think if we did that, we could make... Um, uh, college much more afford, particularly doubling the Pell Grant, um, uh, that the, we can make college much more affordable and we can get some of these uh, professions covered. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I do want you to know, again, in the spirit of partnership, uh, we in the state of Washington have um, uh, enhanced what is already uh, being contemplated in the way of making college more affordable at the federal level by creating uh, opportunity grants uh, in the state of Washington that is available to every student. Um, and we also have promise scholarships where students begin envisioning themselves as college students in the eighth grade um, and uh, signing a pledge that they will be, they will make every effort to be good students. And at the end of um, their high school career, they are eligible for a certain grant to apply to any Washington State public college or university. I'm going to have I'm going to have somebody uh, look at that to see if we can't uh, expand that uh, to other states. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I, I think both of you like minds, and one at, in Washington D.C. and one chair in Washington State, and uh, I'm glad that. Uh, there's some compatibility there, and uh, both have the same desire to make sure that the folks get uh, fair and equitable uh, resources so they can pursue an education, because we know it's been very difficult after two years of uh, uh, corona. So uh, anyway, I want to thank both of you very much for uh, taking the time today, and uh, want to say good luck to both of you in your elections, and also 
uh, Representative Santos, uh, Congressman Bobby Scott was also a, uh, a uh, NAACP president in Newport News, Virginia. And uh, he is a favorite at the Filipino Community Center because his grandfather was Filipino. I know, Robert, I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we need we want we're gonna get you out here so you can talk to some of these folks that want to some of your uh, supporters and admirers, sir. Well, thank you. Can't wait. Good to All listen right. to you, Representative Santos. Good to Good see you. Good to see you, Mr. Mosley. My very best to your beautiful wife. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, Eddie. You. Thank you, Congressman. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. My next guest is Corbett Mosley. He is with uh, Pacific Mountain Workforce Development Council. And uh, they, I guess they're going to be telling folks how this $200 million, uh, the reinvestment, the community reinvestment fund from Washington State Department of Commerce, $200 million will be allocated over the next two years to address racial, economic, and social disparities across Washington State. So my first question is, sir, is the money already there? Because I think if somebody else gets elected, we might not get it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it still has to kind of go through. It's been um, my understanding is the way that this thing works is that it's been a, um, the governor's put it in their their budget. The money is there. Um, there's a lot of resources behind it, but it's one hundred million um, in fiscal year twenty twenty four and then one hundred million in fiscal year twenty twenty five. Um, and so we're developing, not Pack Mountain, uh, Pack Mountain is where I work full time um, during the day, but um, there's a group of community researchers that were contracted with um, Department of Commerce to kind of help do some outreach and help build relationships to um, really get community voice on how to really spend those dollars. Um, the governors put it in in their um, in their budget and, it's, and it's, a, it's a really exciting time. I mean, I don't think that I've ever seen a um, process like this or a um, intent um, like this to really uh, use this significant amount of resources to address the the disparities caused by the war on drugs and the harm that government caused um, historically marginalized communities. Um, so it's a really important process. We, we, we put up a website that's uh, um, wa-reinvest.com um, and, and, and that's what we're using as a transparency, you know, like the main kind of tool to, um, get things out right now, but we are putting folks out into the ground, um, researchers out in community, uh, to really, um, hear from community about what they think should happen. And, and there's a couple of categories of, of, uh, data that we're looking at. We're looking at and, you know, and it's kind of hard to, to mention these without saying that we've we've studied this thing before um, in terms of wealth disparities, homeownership, legal assistance, community safety, reentry services and in general racial disparities. Um, there's lots of reports that are out there that um, have really good information and recommendations. Um, we're designing and providing feedback on. Uh, what the funding criteria would be and how to, um, you know, how to, what community says is the best way to allocate those dollars to meet the intent of the proviso. Um, so I, I want to just highlight that there's four key areas of funding that the 200 million will be used for. Uh, economic development, legal assistance, community safety, and reentry services. And we're also looking at 
targeting certain areas um, uh, for that funding. And, and, um, and so it's a, it's a really important process. We want to make sure that, that, that people that have been working on this for a while um, and, you know, have, are, are hearing from, you know, have an opportunity to weigh in. There's a whole bunch of different ways folks can weigh in through the website. Uh, we have Jesse Miller on the call uh, as well. Um, she is uh, uh, the, the, the founder of the Harriet Tubman Foundation for Safe Passage. And they actually, uh, uh, which was the group that actually received the funding from, from Commerce. Um, and uh, Miss Jesse could probably say a few words um, um, too. But, but Eddie, I'm so glad you got us on right now. This is a right time. It's the right time for engagement. Um, we we want to get the message out. Uh, and and we're really pushing. So I appreciate you having us on. My pleasure. My pleasure. Go right ahead. Hey, hey that, that radio voice really kicked in. I guess you was having the audio. That oh, my, man, I my, tell you, my, yeah. My well, anyway, Aaron told right me how to, how to resolve the issue, and I did. So I sure okay. appreciate him, too. But uh, Ms. Jesse, you got some words of wisdom for us? Well, as you know, I am the uh, founder of the Harriet Tubman Foundation for Safe Passage. And again, thank you for inviting us today to share about the community reinvestment plan, because the first word is community. And uh, that is our task is to make sure that the community is involved in the creation of the plan so that we actually have a voice. Those who are affected by uh, <clears throat> the war on drugs uh, actually have a voice in how this $200 million is allocated out to the community. So radio, uh, Zoom, these are all the different um, social media uh, tasks part of them that we're going to be using. So again, thank you, because we need this message to be spread. It's not just my voice, Corbett's voice. This is the community. This is Washington State residents who've been affected. And in order for us to do a good job, which I am very adamant that we do not only good, but a great job, we need your voice. And so there's a website, and I don't know if Corbett's already um, said it, but it is uh, wa-reinvest.com. Awesome. Come. Mm -hmm. Good job. Yep. <laughs> and and that's where we're taking people's uh, stories, uh, ideas, opinions. Uh, if people want to make time to talk to us and share uh, or even help do this work, uh, that's where we want you guys to go so that, you know, this can be a truly a statewide effort led by the people. So, Eddie, I, I hope your audience out there heard that wa invest. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, Eddie, I, I got a quick question for you, because you may know this off the top of your head and I don't have that number in front of me. But um, how much revenue is the, the cannabis in the industry bringing in, you know, uh, annually? Uh, man, I don't know, but I, it's got to be billions. It's a lot. It's, and, and the, so, hey, nationwide, it got to be over a trillion dollars. Well, well, I can tell man. you what, from what I know for many years, the only uh -huh. thing that beats cannabis, or the only thing is apples and cannabis have been Washington's number one product for many, many years. Many, before well, it was legal. So. You, so so, so, check this. When, when we talk about the disparities that exist, even when we go back to the, the, the why and we talk about some of these disparities, um, young African Americans and Latinos, um, but you know, actually, the studies say they use marijuana at lower rates than young whites. Mm -hmm. But in the last, in the in, in a ten-year report that they had, um, African Americans uh, were two point nine times um, more likely to be arrested, and Latinos um, and, and Native Americans um, uh, one point six uh, times the rate. 
And so there's a, you know, people were being arrested for possession and losing out on opportunities for jobs, losing out on opportunities for education. Then you can kind of get into a whole, uh, you know, all of the array in terms of the war on drugs and how how it criminalized some um, and let others get a pass um, is some of the disparities on how it was targeted towards communities of color. And I, I know that you've talked about this before, Eddie. So um, it's, it's, you know, if, if <laughs> Um, it's something that they we got to make it whole. We got to make it right. And we got to reinvest in communities so that there's clear opportunities for clear pathways for success. And uh, that's what I, I want. I don't have enough time because you guys have like, some valuable information and I got to etch out some more time for you because I, what I want to do is I want to like to have you guys give an update on where we are. This is very, very important. Absolutely. Very important. Yep. To me. So, uh, Corbett, I want you to shoot me some dates of you guys. I have any events so we can announce them. Have you on to talk about it, Mr. Jesse? Have you on uh, to talk about the uh, any events you have coming mm-hmm. up or any information you want to get up? This is very, very important. So Yeah, uh, and, and every Friday, too, um, on the website, you'll see events that we have a Friday drop-in, um, uh, uh, drop-in hours. So it's around lunchtime. So if folks just want to kind of get connected with some of the community researchers, they can do that. There's also just ways that people can send in video, audio, text messaging through the website. They can look at data that we're looking at and that we've been exposed to, and they can see some of the best practices that we're raising up um, to um, uh, that we want to that we want to raise the bar on. And so all of that is available through the website, and um, and we can definitely come back because we've just submitted the draft preliminary report on how we're going to approach some of the community engagement. Um, so in a couple of months, I think it could be a good time to come back okay. and really share, you know, here's what we're, here's where we're at. Eddie, I will say right now, then, go ahead. I will say right now, the main thing is to get the word out. That's we can't, crazy. that's why we're here. We have to get the word out. There's no way that there's 10 or 20, you know what I'm saying? We want everyone to have the opportunity, whether they take it or not. And I hope people, you know, we're going to make it so that you want to be part of changing Washington state in a positive direction um, and a self-led direction. And I will say like we need the community's help because let's be real. I am, a, um, this is a black uh, uh, small business that received a contract. Um, and just even in that working with the state, you know, and working with them and trying to teach them how a different way to work. You understand? Yeah. We need backup here yeah, because they have their old ways. Okay. They're still, even I got, they I got somebody on hold, but I, like I said, if you have something that we can just announce, but I'd like to follow up and follow your process and let people know what's going on. So, Corbett, if you put that on, on your Facebook page, I'll share it on mine. And Perfect. I'll tag some people. So thank you yep, very yep. much, Ms. Jesse. Thank you very much, Corey. Appreciate you. the work you're yep, doing. Thank you. Okay. Uh, uh, Reverend Harriet Walden, uh, founder of the Mothers for Police Accountability, is on the phone, I do believe. Yeah. How are you doing, Mr. Rice? Thank you for letting me come on. Yes, Reverend Harriet. Go right ahead. Well, I just thank you for letting me come on. Uh, today, uh, on next Thursday, actually, a week from today, Mothers is having our Mother's Justice Breakfast. Uh, we call it the Thurgood, uh, Thurgood Marshall Breakfast. And we will be featuring our, our uh, the awards. Uh, this is our first annual um, award that we're giving uh, under this. So we did we did give out awards under the uh, Paul Robeson event. But this is a Thurgood Marshall Breakfast, uh, Mother's Justice Breakfast, that's next uh, Thursday, on November 10th at 7 a.m. at the Royal Esquire Club. Uh, and we're praying that it's not going to be snow because they're talking about it. 
Uh, the address is uh, 5016 South uh, uh, Rainier Avenue, South 98118. And we are, I think most people know where that is, but that's in the heart of, still in the heart of Columbia City. They didn't change the name on that yet. So um, anyway, uh, you can go to our, um, we have a, we, we have uh, information on this that uh, you can find us at um, on our website uh, at mothers www.s uh, on mothers for police accountability uh, at dot uh, uh, org and our telephone number for this particular and more information is two five three two three seven two zero one three it's two five three two three seven two zero one three and I'm so honored that we're going to be on it. Uh, Gabe uh, Delando, he's a Native American uh, man who's actually our servant marshal of this time. And we're going to need more attorneys like uh, like Gabe and other attorneys to step up now uh, because we don't know what's going to happen after uh, November 8th. And so we need um, a lot more attorneys. Uh, retired uh, Judge Judy Hightower is going to be our keynote speaker for our breakfast. So come out. Enjoy the breakfast, and uh, you'll have some still get to work in plenty of time. That's next uh, next Thursday, November 10th at uh, at 7 a.m. at the Royal Esquire Club. Rep. Harriet, thank you very much, and thank all you've been doing with Mothers for over the last 30 years or more. And uh, uh, just thank you for all the work you've done. I really appreciate you. So thank well, you thank very you much. Thank you, and thank you for letting me come on. All right, and continue to have a great day. Okay, you too, ma'am. Thank you now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, Eric, we're going to take this break before we come back with our next guest. Over and by my suitcase, trying to find a warm place to spend. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail Station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, 
visit lease.ctacshops.com. Ready to shake things up? Try Alternative Talk 1150. All right, Eddie Rye, back at Urban Forum Northwest. Before I go to Lanisha, I want to thank the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Department with uh, Liz Alzier is retired and Jesse Gilliam is now the acting director, the Washington State Department of Transportation, Office of Equity and Civil Rights. Uh, Earl Key is the boss. The Port of Seattle's Office of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion, Mian Rice, Lawrence Coleman and Josie Regan. They run that shop. Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity and Inclusion. And that is John Tay Robinson and SeaTac Bar Group LLC with the Mountain Room Bar and the African Lounge on the Concourse A at SeaTac. That's Jerry Whitson and Rod O'Neill. And my next guest is the dynamic one and only leader of all the African-American museums in the country, Ms. Lanisha de Barbaladet. How you doing, Lanisha? Well, Eddie, how are you today? Good, good. You guys have so much going on. And uh, uh, folks been calling me about the Nat Turner interview. I didn't put on where, where the interview was going to be. But why don't you just run down a series of events for November that the NAM is sponsoring and involved with and leading? The Northwest African American Museum is a museum that does not stop. We do not slow down. And November is quite a, an active month for us. November is Hip Hop History Month. And so we'll be recognizing hip hop artists, hip hop history, hip hop DJs all throughout the month of November. We have an event uh, this evening in partnership with the Seattle Public Library Foundation at the Douglas Truth Library tonight. And then on November 11, the Northwest African American Museum is hosting an in-person conversation with the direct descendant of Nat Turner. Nat Turner um, was the most, um, one of the most heroic African American um, heroes of our past. He organized a rebellion against the institution of slavery. He lost his life on November 11, 1831. And so it's um, symbolic and significant that we are hosting this conversation with his great, great, great grandson on November 11 this year. It will be live and in person. We're holding it on the eastern side of the state uh, at Gonzaga University uh, because we are living up to our name of being the Northwest African American Museum. And it will be uh, live streamed live. So it will be a hybrid program. Individuals can uh, log into NAM's YouTube channel and watch it live and engage live with uh, Bruce Turner the great-great-great-grandson of Nat Turner. And that will be on Friday, November 11 at 6 p.m. That's also Veterans Day. We'll be recognizing our African-American veterans on that day as well. And so we invite everybody to register uh, to get the direct link to this live program. It's a part of our Descendants series. We've been holding conversations with the descendants of Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, um, Harriet Tubman, Ida B. Wells, Madam C.J. Walker, Dred Scott. This is a continuation of that series. And so we want people to just meet and engage with the, the direct descendant of Nat Turner on November 11th. Well, you know, I had the opportunity when Dr. Ife Williams, a columnist featured in the Seattle Medium on a regular basis, uh, Trice Edney uh, News Service uh, uh, columnist, 
And uh, at one of her bunch, brunches, I think it was in 2019, before the pandemic, I had a chance to meet Aaliyah Bundles, who is a great granddaughter of Madam C.J. Walker. Yeah. And I got to meet Rita Daniels, who is uh, the great, great granddaughter of uh, a great granddaughter of Harriet, great, great granddaughter of Harriet Tubman. So uh, I got a chance to meet some of those folks through another sister-led organization at the time. Uh, Dr. Ife Williams has stepped down from the leadership of that position. She she uh, does continue to do a radio program in Washington, and also she has a column, like I said, it's all across the country. Now, you have several other events that's going to be happening in November as well, too. Why don't you share that information with us? We do. Well, this year, this November, marks the 80th birthday of a Jimi Hendrix, Seattle's own Jimi Hendrix. And so the Northwest African American Museum is delighted to partner with MOHAD, the Museum of History and Industry, to celebrate the 80th birthday of Jimi Hendrix. We will be uh, at MOHAI on Saturday, November 26th to um, screen a film, a documentary film, and a performance that Jimi Hendrix gave in July of 1970 when he was in Maui. And so individuals will be able to celebrate the life, the legacy, the musical genius of Jimi Hendrix together with community and to hear from um, Janie Hendrix discussing this film that she helped to uh, co-produce about Jimi Hendrix's music and life and his performance at Maui. So that'll be on Saturday, November 26th at 2 p.m. at MOHAD, the Museum of History and Industry. We're just delighted to look back on the day that Jimi Hendrix was born. He was born November 27, 1942, right here in Seattle. And we will be celebrating the magnitude of his musical genius together. Yeah, I knew Jimmy in the younger years, uh, he and his brother Leon, uh, that's when they were hanging out at Meany Playfield, and uh, uh, he was all, he had Sammy Drain, who was also deceased, where they, I think they slept with those guitars, but I want people to know that uh, the Spanish Castle music is now called the Bullpen, it's on 200th and International Boulevard, and that was where Spanish Castle music came from. And he said, it's not very far away, Jet. took you about a half day to get there by Dragonfly. And that was the buses. But I don't think they had uh, buses going out that far then. But that was a place where a lot of uh, musicians gathered and played. Also, uh, I was a uh, pallbearer at, at, at the Jimi Hendrix funeral and also participated in, uh, well, the funeral service as well as, uh, and there's a picture that uh, I had here out to here. Uh, in night, October 1st, 1970, uh, his funeral service was at Dunlap Baptist Church, which is now Ethiopian Church on Rainier Avenue South. Uh, so uh, it looks small now, but back in those days, it was, I mean, people from everywhere I can recall, uh, Buddy Miles, uh, uh, Miles Davis, uh, John Winter, and all folks from England from everywhere came, and they had the reception at Seattle Center. And the late Freddie Mae Gaucher told the mayor, you let the chief of police and everybody else know we don't want none of our Jimi Hendrix guests mess with, and we're going to be at the Seattle Center. That's where we're going to be, and we don't want no mess. And you know what? It wasn't no mess, and uh, everybody was, uh, I mean, it was really some camaraderie. And to see uh, a group of people from all around the world coming, and what happened is that uh, my uh, they had it on the front. AP ran a story went around the world, and they mentioned me being in the front. 
And at the time, my father, who I met Eddie Wright Jr., his name is Eddie Wright. He's listening to the phone book. He's getting all these calls from around the world. And my, my mother kept saying, they're not calling for you. He said, my name is Eddie Wright. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm glad that, that, that that's going to be happening. But I do have a, a picture of that that was on the AP photo. I do have that on my Facebook page. So if you ever want it, I'll definitely send it to you. Eddie Rod Jr., you are a part of history. You always have been. Do you remember the song that Patronelle Wright sang at the funeral, by chance? Well, I, I can't remember. I do remember Buddy Miles fainting and almost <laughs> and fell on Miles Davis. I remember that uh, when he was doing the viewing, going out of the church. But uh, no, I can't. I can't. You know, I can't remember what what song she sang. Mm -hmm. There were so many things going through my head. I just remember all the logistics and Miss Freddie may go Shay tell, tell me what to do <laughs> and being the messenger boy for her. And I was doing my job. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Wow. What a cherished memory of that historic funeral of Jimi Hendrix here in Seattle. We will um, always, you know, cherish yeah. who he represented. He represented all of Seattle. Now, is the Mohai event uh, on Jimmy's birthday, is that open to the public? It is. Okay. It is open to the public. Absolutely. Yes. And individuals can go to NAM's website to register for both of these events for the Nat Turner event, which is free and open to the public, as well as for the uh, Jimi Hendrix uh, film screening. So they can go to www.naamnw.org and register for both of these free events. Now, the other thing is you guys just engage upon a huge fundraising campaign. And you had, uh, I guess, the, the uh, anchors from Cairo TV there emceeing the event. Uh, uh, and uh, how did that work out? It was a beautiful occasion, Eddie. We were able to honor and celebrate uh, Dr. Constance Rice and former Mayor Norman Rice. They received our first ever Champions of Unity uh, award, and we were able to raise $907,000 as a result of the event. We are we set the goal to raise 900,000. So we exceeded that goal thanks to support uh, from community far and wide. Uh, that's great. And now uh, when will uh, NAM be open up for uh, tours and all these things? When, we, when are you coming down to that so people can come and visit and actually see stuff? Yes, we have made the announcement that the Northwest African American Museum is going to be reopening on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is January 16th. It will be uh, just a festive occasion happening um, at NAM, And of course, we are supporting the event happening at Garfield and all of the other King Day events going on around town. But folks will be able to come back to the museum on King Day and uh, we're going to be reinitiating tours and rentals and everything else that NAM is known for. And they'll be right at Garfield, so it's not that far away. You've already marched downtown, so you can march down a few more blocks, but you can ride down there now because they even have buses going down 23rd now, so you can ride down there. So uh, in terms of, uh, you said you guys are going to be open up on Martin Luther King Day, but right now, uh, I know you're doing a lot of things virtually. Uh, what other are people able to come in and do a tour as this completely closed down in terms of public contact? The tours will start on King Day. We are continuing to uh, pop up in community and actually across the region now. You all are hearing that we're going to be in Spokane for our next Descendant series. We are showcasing um, this 
beautiful children's book called The Story of Rap on November uh, Denisha, I'm, I'm sorry, we, we're out of time. We're going to be clicked off, but thank you very much for being here because I want to give a shout out to the Seattle City of Sales Purchase and Construction Services Department, the Washington State Department of Transportation, the Office of Civil Equity and Civil Rights, the Port of Seattle's Office of Diversity, uh, Equity, Diversity and Inclusion, Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity and Inclusion, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, and make sure that you check in with Lanisha. They'll be opening up on Martin Luther King Day, but you can still make some contributions. So Lanisha, thank you very much for your leadership and your guidance and making it real um, in terms of what our people are about, what we've been through. And it's good to have the history as well as the modern day stuff you're doing. So thank you very much, Eric. I appreciate you. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that sound transit is powering progress. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com.